Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Empire Ears in collaboration with Grammy-winning producers, engineers, and their family of touring musicians. Empire Ears has developed a line of in-ear monitors that deliver what you need for every mix. When it comes to unrivaled stage clarity or needing a flat and honest reference for your latest studio mix, Empire Ears has got you covered no matter where you find yourself. And now your host, A.L. Levy. Welcome to the URM Podcast. I am A.L. Levy, and I just want to tell you that this show is brought to you by URM Academy, the world's best education for rock and metal producers. Every month on Nail the Mix, we bring you one of the world's best producers to mix a song from scratch from artists like Lamb of God, Meshuga, Periphery, A Day to Remember, Bring Me the Horizon, Opeth, many, many more. And we give you the raw multi-tracks so you can mix along. You'll also get access to MixLab, our collection of bite-sized mixing tutorials, and Portfolio Builder, which are pro-quality multi-tracks that are cleared for use in your portfolio. You can find out more at NailTheMix.com. We've got a great guest on today's episode, one of my favorite people in this industry. And I like having him on because he embodies something that I learned a long time ago. The first time I ever took a music business class, I was told that in order to have a successful music career, I needed to have multiple streams of income that were somewhat independent of each other, but that nobody really ever made it work off of one stream alone. It was always multiple streams. And so I've approached my career with that in mind. And seems like Kevin Antresian has done the same thing. He used to play guitar for Dillinger Escape Plan. He owns Backroom Studios, just started a YouTube channel for Backroom Studios. And he's always got different things going on. And I find that inspiring and uh, plainly just interesting I think he's interesting to talk to and inspiring. And I think that those of you who are looking to make a living at this funny thing called music, whether it's production or as a musician or a mix of both, you should take a chapter out of Mr. Antresian's book about creating multiple income streams. So without further ado, I give you Mr. Kevin Antresian. Welcome back to the URM podcast. Thanks for having me back. This is awesome. Yeah, and uh, I just want to apologize for how hard it's been for us to link up. <laughs> uh, it's been really stupid. It's all good. That's I know how it is, man. Everybody in this business has like 18 different jobs, essentially, and we're all juggling that stuff, so it's not a big deal. Yeah, but I feel like this one in particular, we've been trying to book this for like a year or something stupid like that. And yeah, I think it was like December we were going back and forth. So we're eight months or so ish, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not usually this bad. It's okay, man. And maybe, maybe it's better now that I have maybe some more interesting things to say. Who knows? We'll see about that. I'll be, I'll be the, I'll be the judge of that. Yeah, exactly. All right. So speaking of having more to say, one thing I'm curious about just cause like I'm getting mixed messages here. Uh Is your band done or not? Oh, Dillinger? Yeah. You know, you'd have to ask the other guys. (laughs) Okay. I'm kind of like the last one that got brought onto the project. So, you know, as far as I know, it's like an indefinite hiatus. So is is there a possibility that... We'll come back sometime, maybe. I don't really know. I know some of the guys wanted to explore like other things in life, especially like Ben has been doing it for an eternity, essentially. And, you know, like when that's all you know, that's got to be kind of tough too. you know, 
even though it is amazing and it is like his passion, but like you can't really do too much else when you're in a full-time touring band. I mean, it takes up all of your time, especially when it's like a DIY type too. So he's doing like tons of the management and the booking and all that stuff. And it really just eats away at life. And even him and I um, tried to like start a business up when he was touring before I was in the band and we tried to get like momentum and then he'd go away on tour, obviously, because that's his job. Yeah. And then we'd lose all that. And then he'd come back. We maybe could pick a little bit up. And it just it's just so hard to, like, get other things accomplished. So I think he realized that it's kind of a necessary thing for him to do to kind of take himself out of it so he can do all the things. You know, there's only so much time we have here, you know. So got to do a lot of stuff. Never start a business with a guy in a touring band. <laughs> Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I say that and then I'm going to get some hate mail from like the three people who have managed to do it. <laughs> but by and large, it's really close to impossible. Yeah, there's, there's just some things, especially with a new business, you really need to be present for like physically and you know, otherwise. Uh, I know just from starting my own business uh, in the beginning is fucking rough, man. It's uh, that's why obviously so many new businesses fail. It's just you're either not the right person, like kind of entrepreneurial type person, or you just, uh, you got a rough deck to deal with. There's, there's so much, we almost got, we got closed down in the first few months when we opened initially because the town did not like us. So it was, how could they not like you? Like I'm a pretty nice guy. I think, I think usually you seem nice. I mean, the, the quick and dirty story is that, uh, I was, I was in a session with like what limited gear I have it was really embarrassing. I would hate to see a picture of that back then, but... I want to see a picture. <laughs> I might be able to dig one up somewhere if that's some friends. If you want to go over details on my, my rig back then, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> Just uh, one piece, my favorite piece was my uh, my mic pre's. I was using the line inserts on a crate, a crate PA, uh, powered PA uh, system. Oh, that's what we're talking. Yeah, that's <laughs> that was my that was my pre's, man. And I lined in that to a borrowed 002 digi-design, so I didn't even own any interface back then. Man, that's that reminds me, I'll let you get back to this in a second, but like that reminds me of times when I've been flown like overseas or something to like record a band mm -hmm. and told that they have like a nice studio and <laughs> all this stuff, and then every you find out everything is a lie. <laughs> you get you get there and there's like a PV mixer <laughs> or something. That's your board. <laughs> For, yeah, from like 1987. Yes. Oh, it's vintage then, right? It's better. Yeah, exactly. It's vintage. <laughs> like I got to one like in 2014, and they were running Cubase SX, and I know that's old because Cubase SX. X is like the first real DAW I ever used wow. in like 2002 or something. Damn. Or 2003, I think. Something like that. Yeah, I think my first uh, audio software I ever even touched was like Cakewalk or, or Guitar Tracks Pro or something. I don't remember what it was called. It was like, I didn't even know what I was doing. I was like, oh, cool, amp modeling. This sounds so good. <laughs> so bad. All right, so back to what you were saying. They wanted to shut you down, and they did shut you down. Maybe they just didn't like the crate. <laughs> yeah, he was like, "You can't, you can't record people with this." And, and can you fault them? <laughs> no, not at all. But uh, that's, I mean, uh, that's how I made my initial money with that horrible rig. Here, I'll give you the quick rig rundown for me. It was that crate PA powered PA when I was using the inserts into the 002 as my interface. Great conversion there. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> I didn't have a PC 
like a work PC. So I took my gaming PC from home with all like the blue lights and all kinds of weird shit in it with like my graphics card, you know, it's like ridiculous. So uh, I sacrificed my gaming rig. Then I didn't have anything to put it on because I didn't own a desk at the time. So I found two rehearsal room like stools that people would sit on, like wobbly kind of stools. I put those down and then I put a piece of plywood that I found on the dock <laughs> As, and that was my desk. <laughs> yeah, it was so unstable. But and then I didn't even have monitors. I was just running headphones. I didn't have any mics, so I just used what I inherited when we took over the studio, which was only SM57s. And that's what I did a, 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 my first few records with until I could make money to buy better shit. <laughs> SM57 is like a saving grace compared to the the rest of that lineup. Yeah, yeah, that's like that's like the uh, the best part about the whole thing. Uh, so yeah, that was it. It was it was brutal. And uh, anyway, so I was recording this band in that un, un, you know unconventional setting as is, and then this dude walks in and he starts like knocking on the door, screaming for the old owner's name. And I was like, oh, he's not here anymore. He we you know we took over the business and he he moved to Arizona. And he's like, what? He's like totally shocked. He's like, you know what? You got to open up all because it's a rehearsal studio. It's like seven thousand square feet. It's quite large. We have like twenty something rooms. And he's like, you got to open up all these rooms right now. We got to have a full inspection. This is a mid-session. And I was like, uh, like right now? <laughs> I'm like with <laughs> customers. And he didn't care. He was like, he was so pissed. What was he pissed about? I don't know. The thing is, I think there was some kind of like handshake deal or something. Some kind of like grease in the wheel, like, like, like grease in his palms type thing. Like some kind of exchange of money. I don't know. They had some kind of arrangement that I wasn't privy to. And I wish they would have just told me because I would gladly would have paid him money to get him the fuck out of my room because that dude was the worst. He caused us so many problems. Um, so he was with the government. He was with the, yeah, the town. He was like, with, he was the fire yeah. marshal for the town. So, you know, he, I'm like, oh shit, I guess, I, hold on guys. Like, let me deal with this dude. This is like a movie in the making. <laughs> this is my life. This is. If fucking Tom Hanks would be in it. <laughs> And we had just, like, literally just took over this business. So he comes in all these rooms, starts writing up all this stuff. There was a lighter, right? Like a lighter on someone's PA wedge. And he goes, what's this? I'm like, I don't know. It looks like, you know, somebody's lighter. Like one of the guys who rented the room by the month. And he goes, you can't have lighters down here. And he takes it and puts it in his pocket and he took it home. <laughs> like, that's the kind of bullshit. Okay, other things he would say. That's awesome. <laughs> It's amazing. Like at that point, you cannot argue with the dude because you know anything you say, he's just gonna like just go. It's gonna get worse. So he would say crazy shit like, "What are these guys? They're using these surge protectors? This is not for music equipment. This is only for computers." And I was like, "What? <laughs> that's, that's definitely not true." <laughs> but I can't go to bat with this dude because it's just gonna make your life worse. So you just have to like yes him to death and get him the fuck out of there as soon as possible. Pretty much, he closed us down that day. He said, "I can't let you guys operate. It's unsafe here." I was like. It's been here for like eight to 10 years before us. No problems. Turns out we went through this whole like bullshit with the town. The guy who we bought it from didn't have any like permits for any of the work he had down down there. And he didn't have a CO, you know, certificate of occupancy from the town or anything. He had nothing. He just kind of did this without them knowing about it. And then was like buddies with like the town dudes. So they kind of just look the other way. But when somebody else come in, you know, they're liable now. So they shut us down. They, they gave us this huge, massive like list of things that we had to get done by an unreasonable date. And if we didn't have it done, we were done. They were, they were closing us down. So we had to like switch gears instead of like trying to nurture this brand new business, you know, 
we had to just be like, okay, we got to go in construction mode and we don't have money. So we're doing it all ourselves. We actually like told the bands, like, we'll give you discounts on your r- monthly rent. Why didn't you just sell your desk? <laughs> Cause that's one of a kind, man. That's custom. <laughs> oh, Fair enough. Never be able to get that back. <laughs> so we like told the bands, if you guys would pitch in and help us like sheetrock the ceilings and spackle and all this stuff, we'll they'll give you discounts on your rent. And so we had a bunch of people helping out and it was a nightmare, dude, for months. It was a fucking nightmare. But anyway, so yeah, opening up a new business, you never know what you're going to get. So it's it's very difficult. How long did it take till things stabilized? I would say that went away within a year-ish. And then we started like really kissing the town's ass and becoming friendly with them. And now they kind of leave us alone. They come in for inspection and then they're gone. So that, that took a little bit. But then for me to get like solid work took a while, obviously, because in the beginning, you literally take, and I'm, you know, I was younger, obviously, it's 11 years ago now. You take anything that comes downstairs or through the door. I mean, literally anything. There's drunk dudes. And you should. That, yeah. That I had, I mean, I didn't have anything else. I needed to make money. They, they would stumble down the stairs, like half saying sentences and like, I need to record a song for my girl. I fucked up. <laughs> I need to. And I was like, okay, uh, sure. Come right in. Like, like, like Starbucks, like come right in, you know? And uh, so the guy goes in there and he's like, uh, you know, I, I, I need to make it right. I need to, because I kept repeating that. And I was like, okay, so what do we do? And he's like, I'm going to sing over this track. And he gives me like some, like, I can't remember who it was, but some you know, like classic rock tune. And the vocals are in it because he's trying to do karaoke. And then he's like, you got to take the vocals out though. And I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) So I do my best, you know, like with EQing to try to get them out. Obviously it's a fucking disaster. And then I'm still young at this point. So I don't know what many tricks of the trade. Oh man. Yep. (laughs) It was like that situation over and over and over again. That's actually one of the reasons that uh, advise people not to go too crazy with advertising your studio. Yeah. And to worry more about word of mouth mm-hmm. and building that. Because if you go crazy with advertisement, like paid ads and shit like that, you're going to get a lot of those kinds of clients. Yeah, they're the worst. And they're one-timers too. They're, 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 not, they're not healthy clients. Like they don't come back and give you more money. They're just a waste of your time, essentially, you know? Yeah, they're not going to help build a reputation. I mean, every once in a while you might get a good one, but by and large, the clients that you're going to pick up through just like blanket ads yeah. are going to be like that. Yeah, they're, they're disasters usually. We still get, you know, the occasional like hip-hop dude calling in and you can tell within the first 10 seconds of the conversation that it's a, it's a disaster and just like not, not worth your time. We've tried, even recently we've tried, we've gotten some new interns there. So it's kind of cool to have them because that's hip-hop sessions are usually pretty easy. You know, for the most part, dealing with the tech side of it, you know, you throw in the track and you record the vocal. It's not too hard. But man, some of these people are just so brutal. Like this one dude just got out of jail and he started threatening one engineer that he worked with. So I was like, okay, can't do that. And then we moved him to another guy, started threatening that guy. So he can, and then I was like, dude, I literally, like I had to, I had no give refunds. I gave this guy a refund. I gave him the fuck out of my room. So that he won't kill you guys? Yeah, because he was so mad. For some reason, I couldn't even understand that. You know, dude, if you got a problem, I'm going to make it right because, you know, bad news travels way fast. So I'm going to do whatever I can. I gave, I gave him a full refund. I was like, dude, just go away. Like, you clearly aren't happy here and we are not happy. Just let's pretend it didn't happen. And then, but he was like, after he got his refund, he's like, so when can I come back? And I was like, what? I was like, dude, you, this is that's that. This exchange is over, bro. Like, we're done here. Like, go to another studio. You'll probably, you know, maybe you'll do better somewhere else. Maybe it's just not working here with us. I don't know. You know why would you, just, you know, want to do that again? 
And he was just like adamant. He's like, I want to come. I want to be here all the time, man. I love this place. And I was like, <laughs> I was losing my fucking mind, dude. So I gave him one more chance with another dude. He started threatening that guy. And I was like, done. Just just fuck this dude. Get him out of here. Wait, so what were the threats? Gee, I could probably send them to you. Uh, one of my engineers, he started getting like real. Because he's like, the guy is completely unreasonable. You know, like we're willing to work with people, for, you know, obviously uh, with mixed notes and all kinds of stuff like that. But this guy wanted like crazy stuff and he wanted it like immediately. And he didn't want to pay for things. And he had his mom calling me. <laughs> and this dude's like an adult. He had his mom calling me to give her like credit card information. Uh, and she even admitted that this dude was a mistake. It was brutal, man. I was just like, why Why am I even entertaining? I don't need this money. I don't need this guy. Get out of my life. Stress is like way worse. So anyway, yeah. Was he violent? I mean, not towards me, but he started, he would get like really like, I mean, he, I think he, his bark was bigger than his bite, but he had just got out of jail. So we were like, man, you never know. You never know. I mean, it's not worth the risk. I don't like that kind of shit at all. Yeah. It's just not worth the headache. And you never know what someone's going to do. Maybe they break in and they like try to trash the place. It's just like, I'm not trying to have any of that karma or anything. So just like make them happy, get them out of the room. Bye-bye kind of thing. Have you had any other uh, choice characters like that? Dude, I have hard drives full of stuff. I just, and stories. I can't, I gotta remember the story. It was so long ago. He came in and he was just like a weird cat, like totally out there. Like I was trying to follow him, but I couldn't. (laughs) For the project, he wanted me to record, because we didn't have a tape deck in the studio. And he wanted me to record this tape deck into Pro Tools for some reason. This like, whatever this tape he had. I was like, dude, we don't have that here. Like, it's not commonplace. You might be able to find someone that has it, but we just don't. And he was like getting really adamant about it. He's like, why can't you just get a microphone, run it outside to my car. I will play it from my speaker in my car and we'll mic it up and we'll do it. <laughs> what? Like, yeah. And I'm like, dude, like we're in a basement, bro. Like how much, how much feet of XLR cable do I need to run for this? I'd end up just saying, no, I turned it down. But like, what kind of, why would you pay for that fidelity? That would sound like trash. <laughs> a cassette going through a car stereo through a microphone. <laughs> That's amazing. I had this one guy once. He was the singer of a band I had worked with, but the record never got finished. Uh-huh. So I never really got to spend time with him. The studio got struck by lightning and- Whoa, that's a thing? Yeah, it, oh yeah, it was a thing. It destroyed the hard drives, all of them. And uh, their record was on it and they they weren't there. So I was with another band who was there. Their shit got destroyed as well. The band who was there forgave me and uh, let me re-record their album because, I mean, they were there. They saw what happened. Oh my God. This was way before the days of cloud backups or any mm-hmm. anything. So the other band never came back. They probably thought I was lying, but... (laughs) I mean, that is a kind of crazy story. (laughs) It is, yeah. I mean, I would think someone was lying. I I absolutely wasn't. It was absolute truth, but... Wow. I mean, I, I, you know, I wouldn't believe me either. So, anyways, their singer hit me up, like, a year later Mm -hmm. and was like, hey, man, I really need you to help me with something. It's really important. Uh, I need your skills on this. Mm -hmm. It's like, all right, come over. (laughs) So he came over. He was like... My woman left me, but she's been fucking with me. And I think that there were people in my house that she sent, but I recorded them. Can you help me decipher this? (laughs) So he gave me a tape. So I happened to have like a boom box that I could, you know, Mm -hmm. get in 
into my rig. <laughs> so uh, we're playing it. It's just like static. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing there, nothing. He's And you, he'd hear like a fluctuation in the static and be like, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. She's fucking with me. Oh, no. Man, yeah. Don't get in the flat earth with him, man. It'll go on for a while. Dude, crazy, crazy people make me really <laughs> nervous. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, that's why we got into this business, right? To do that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. See, that's <laughs> the thing is with people like that, you don't know if like you say the wrong thing and they're going to dismember you. Yeah. Or something. Like I I don't like it. Yeah, totally. I mean, when you're when you're in that intimate setting and you're dealing with like music, and, you know, and and other things, like you never know when what's going to cause someone to go off, you know. I tell all my students and interns like the more you do it, the better your profile gets and the easier your job actually gets in my opinion. So, you don't have to deal with that garbage usually later down the line. It's just like starting up it seems so much harder than it is later. Well, and if uh you do have to deal with like a diva band or a bigger band that, you know, might not play that well, mm-hmm. there's solutions that most people will be okay with. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's not like dealing with those garbage clients. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's a different monster. God, that was so long ago. Yeah. It makes you think, right? Like we've been doing this for, for forever. <laughs> yeah. Like you whenever lose perspective on how good things have gone. Mm-hmm. I just think back to that. Yeah, man, totally. And and I feel like I'm not religious, but like blessed that like that, like I got to go through that stuff, you know, because it's character building. And I feel like a lot of these guys that are walking into my space now have no idea what that's like. That's really unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, because they're not building their a business. I mean, they're, they're trying to build their reputation or the name, but like they don't have to deal with any of the things that I've had to deal like not just even personality things, man, with like clientele, like infrastructure problems, like building a 7,000 square foot spot. Oh my God. The amount of stuff I've had, like when you have sewage problems and you, you know, you got people that need to use the bathroom, you know, you can't really call a plumber and start all the time. So you got to do it yourself. And I've literally had my entire arm up to my elbow in shit trying to fix stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, like literally. That's terrible. <laughs> hands in it, man. Ben from Dillinger, he'll tell you. He was there. <laughs> like He'll tell you, you know. Sometimes you just have to do shit that nobody wants to do, and you got to get it done now. Oh, God. Yeah. This brings up something awful that happened. I'm sure. They just, yeah, they don't get it. <laughs> yeah. So there's this band. This was in, like, 2004 or five. Like, mm-hmm. I was really pushing to get my local cred and there was a band i really wanted to work with and they were playing with a mortician cool (laughs) i believe like in atlanta i offered to house them and stuff and another band from the tour and yeah so they came back to my place my basement studio at the time and i had like drinks and food for everyone and really tried to be a good host at some point Somebody went too far with the drinking and puked, I guess, in the sink in the bathroom and filled it all up. <laughs> and then puked and then kept going like a snail trail. Like, yeah, this was a big basement, too. Puking from across two rooms all oh the way to God. outside and then puked all over the, the steps to get in, which then caused the <laughs> chain, chain reaction where other people started puking. And so all over my control room, the hallway to the control room, that bathroom, all the way to the door outside, right outside the door, then in the other sink filled wow, all the way up. was this up. person alive after this? Did, no, it was multiple people. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, and then they bolted. <laughs> 
So I woke up to find this stuff. Oh, my God. I pieced it all together. Who's threw up was who's? <laughs> well, yeah, I, uh, through extensive testing. No, so someone told me what had happened, and I had a band showing up from out of town at 6 p.m. that night. So it was traumatic. I mean, it was one of those things where, like, this band is driving eight hours to start a mm -hmm. record, and it's 7 a.m., <laughs> and my whole entire studio is covered in puke. Oh. What do you do? You clean it. <laughs> yeah, started picking that shit out of the rug. It was horrible. It was one of the most horrible things I've ever had to do in my life. Wow. They had no idea when they arrived. Yep. It was terrible. That's brutal, man. Oh, other people's puke is like, my, my fiance, I can't even go near any kind of puke. She can't see puke on the movies. She can't, she like is so, it kills her. So I can't imagine like what that would be like for her. <laughs> it was like, I had to go into this Zen state almost yeah. to where I wasn't really there. Oh my God. Like, this is just a sensation. <laughs> like, and a sensation is something the brain can turn off. You know, and thinking about the smell and all that. You to try to get as clinical as possible, because otherwise, you know, fucking puke. Yeah. Oh my god, dude, that that's <laughs> insane. Like I can't. Like shit has a smell, but puke that's has horrible. like this burning smell. Like <laughs> that stuff doesn't go away either. It was so bad. I have a ton of like crazy plumbing related stories about the studio with like shit coming from the ceiling and like all kinds of <laughs> crazy stuff that goes on. Shit coming from the ceiling. Yeah. When, like I said, man, when you when you run your own facility. What happened there? Well, the quick version of it was we were rerouting our plumbing, and we had this these contractors come down. We have uh, like businesses above us, so we rerouted our, our sewage line. And these fucking assholes didn't think that when you ha when you cut the pipe, there's residual shit in the pipe. Oh no! So they cut the pipe and let it hang, and it all just flew out like a ton of it, all over the hallway walls, everything, all over the floor. Just like filled up and I was just like, I came in there and I was like, well, I heard them because I was tracking and I heard them in the hall. I go, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and you just hear like water like pouring out. It's not water, obviously. And then I was like, huh, wonder what that was. <laughs> and then you smell it and then you go look and you're like, and they're just staring at you like, oh, we are cleaning. And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> That's so bad. My band was on tour in like 2007. <laughs> We're like first of five that slot on like Joffer Cowboy Acacia mm -hmm. Strain in like, yeah, 2007. So small places, but very packed and very, very fucking packed. Mm -hmm. And we had a singer back then who was just like to do stupid shit. And he, we were at this club in Jacksonville, Florida. I forget what it was called, but he jumped up onto the ceiling and grabbed a pipe and started swinging from it mm -hmm. and the pipe broke oh no and it was a shit pipe oh no <laughs> <laughs> it doused the entire audience oh my god it was fucking horrible we never we were never allowed to play there again <laughs> oh my god i wonder if anybody got like sick from that just like getting shit all over them that's crazy i don't know yeah it was it was horrible <laughs> I wonder if Dillinger has any stories like that. I'm sure if you ask some of those guys, they have they to. Because they, they do that like to. every show. <laughs> they jump on pipes. Yeah, there, there's got to be because you can't tour that long and that hard doing that much crazy shit without encountering some sort of uh, sewer <laughs> problem or, or yeah. something. Podcast derailed. <laughs> I think it's great. I think, man, people need to know what they're getting into. Sure. They think it's all just making records and making money. 
<laughs> nope. <laughs> well, I mean, I know that at the audio compound, the place that Andrew Wade. Mm-hmm. That thing was awesome. That thing was dope. It's quite awesome. We have our, our studio there, too. Like, there were no problems like that. But, I mean, he still, I remember, I think it was called a pressure fracture. Uh, I saw that, yeah. Yeah, that broke his control room window. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had no idea that that was even a thing. Yeah. But, you know, he learned when the thing fucking shattered. Yeah, and construction settles, man. <laughs> and it's not settling, like, even if it's, like, a quarter of an inch, it's, like, that's, like, I don't know how many foot-pounds. Like, it's a pressure. It's insane. It's not, like... It's like a little bit <laughs> that will shatter any kind of glass. Um, now hopefully his construction guy fit or insurance fit the bill for that. That would be unfortunate otherwise because that's that's a that's an, a construction flaw. I really don't know, but I know that Andrew built a lot of stuff himself. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know the inner workings of that. I actually just redid our window in our control room after I saw that, like the same week that that happened to him. And I told my construction guy, I'm like, listen, you got to put a gap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to have this happen. So I'm glad he posted about it. Otherwise, I, you know, I may have over, overlooked that too. Well, Dan Corneth knew exactly what it was right yeah. away. So I'm guessing that that's happened to him too. Well, he's, he's a genius. <laughs> he's been around a while too. Yeah, and he likes to build things. So I'm assuming that he's encountered that problem. Yeah. But I mean, so yeah, it's not just like these horrible stories we were telling. Like if you're going to be building a studio and from the ground up and dealing with all the business stuff, in addition to that, just the building part is a monster all of its own. Totally. At least I'm, I'm assuming in the space that you guys built, at least you didn't have a business running during the construction. That's the hardest thing for me is that like I have all these construction projects open that I can't f- ever finish because I'm not ever finished, but it just they get delayed so much because I'm currently using the space that I'm doing construction in. So it's like I have an open ceiling for like three months and then I was like, okay, well, there's a two day gap here. So let's book that. It was like that. It was like that for a mm-hmm. while. Um, that's what went from the time that I confirmed that I was going to move mm-hmm. in there till the time that I moved in there was well over a year and a half. Oh, wow. Because Andrew had to keep working. Yeah. And that's why the repairs are slow. I mean, updates are slow just because people need to work. You got to pay the bills, you know. Let's talk about what you've been doing. Because last time you were on, you had been in Dillinger for like a year, I think, or something. Okay. But since then, Dillinger has like toured like crazy and then apparently stopped, gone on hiatus. And you started a YouTube channel, started teaching at a university. Kept the studio going. Like, what's up? Yeah, all that stuff. It's uh, you think you get some free time, and then you're like, oh wait, I gotta fill this up with all kinds of things. You know, I gotta continue to do stuff. So, did you actually think you were gonna get free time? I thought I was. I really did. I was like telling my friends, telling my fiance. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna take some time. I'm gonna relax. I'm gonna work on like less records. I'm not gonna try to do every record I possibly can. You know. And just kind of enjoy my house and my, you know, my lawn and nature. And What does that even mean? <laughs> I'm like an old person, dude. Like when there's a nice sunny day and I'm off from work, I like want to work on my lawn. It's so crazy. <laughs> but like I just okay. love being outside and doing constructive things. And so I thought I was going to finally get time to do that because, you know, when you're away on tour or you're running a business or both and all that stuff, you don't you sometimes neglect stuff that when you come home, you're like, God damn it, that thing's still there. I need to fix or blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so I thought I was going to get this free time, but then I was like, man, I should really continue my momentum with the Dillinger thing, you know, with marketing 
in another, like, don't just let that die, you know? So I was like, let's start a YouTube channel. Like, let's do, I have endless freaking content, you know, in front of me. I could review a billion things, tutorials, all kinds of interviews with all the people I know. Um, I mean, obviously, you know much about this yourself. And like, I was like, I'll just kind of like do another thing. And then that took a long time to get going. Like, it was a lot harder than I thought. It's, isn't it funny how easy people think it is? I thought it was just going to be like, oh, you fire up the camera and you talk. It's like, nope. <laughs> yeah, it's a no, no big deal. Just just say stuff. And some of it is that. But you have to figure out your formula and you have to get the right people involved. And you, you have to put out quality content. You can't just put out trash. Like, obviously, I'm not talking down to people. There's obviously a marketplace for people that just put on their webcam and talk and some of those people have, you know, millions of subscribers and shit, and that's awesome. But yeah, the thing is, though, that they've done it so much yeah. that they're they're already in that mode, kind of like the way that a touring band doesn't need to rehearse as much. Right. And, you know, that tightness that you get after like four weeks on the road, like it, I think it's a similar sort of thing. If you make a lot of videos, eventually you're going to know what to say. Yeah. You're going to be better at articulating yourself. But while you're still figuring it out and getting comfortable, it's fucking hard. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm trying to, uh, and I fluff this guy, uh, Ryan Bruce has a channel. Obviously it's very popular, especially in this world. And I'm like, we know him. Yeah, we love him. I was like, yeah, he works with you guys. And he's like, a, he's like a, kind of like a, a surrogate brother or something like for now. He, I just ask him all the time. I'm probably annoyed the crap out of him, but I'm like, is this better? Should I do this? Like, what do you think about this idea? Cause he's done it. He's obviously very successful with it. And I'm just starting and I don't want to misstep, you know, if I don't have to. And, uh, so far it's gone really well, but like, yeah, like you said, just figuring out like how to, you have to talk differently. Like you have to address things differently. Like you have to put out quality stuff. Like you don't want building a brand in one area, which is like audio, which is obviously fidelity matters. And then like do a side thing with video and have it just look shitty and sound bad and not be entertaining. That was our main goal was like, we wanted to do a channel and they're not like it's not done before. Like Glenn Fricker does it, does it very well. You know, like a, some kind of a informative music related gear page that's also funny like i don't want it to be like too dry because i can't i can't watch those man those are brutal when it's just like here's the pedal and then i'm gonna play this blues riff and then it's just <laughs> like and then you know we're gonna do this it's rough shit <laughs> it's like man like okay i get it like you're getting it across and i hear that you know the sound of the pedal but that's a tough read you know what I mean? <laughs> so we're trying to just like and incorporate some kind of element of entertainment or comedy and uh it's all improv, essentially. So we're just like going over with other people in the in the uh, in our crew, and uh, you know, like uh, the interns and stuff like that. Like, what jokes go over well? What what does not work to the viewer? And I'm not like a film guy, so I don't know any of this shit. So it's all like totally new territory for me. But it's it's hard work, man. It really is. Uh, the thing that I hate the most about it is how much more animated you have to be. Uh, in order to just sound mm -hmm. normal. Like, if I'm my normal self on camera, I'm going to seem like I'm fucking stoned <laughs> out of my mind and, like, yeah. don't want to be there and half asleep. I have to, like, conjure an unnatural level of energy mm -hmm. in order to communicate things on camera. Yeah. And it, especially the first few times... I felt like such a fucking idiot. <laughs> and sometimes I still do, but it makes a huge difference. So, you know, whatever level of energy you feel comfortable with in your delivery, turn it up by 20%. 
I know. Yeah. That's, that's tough to realize too. And another thing is like, I don't, I mean, I usually don't talk like super fast and everyone's telling me like, you got to talk faster. You got to talk faster because we got to cut these, we got to cut this time down in these videos. We got to keep it like under seven minutes, under six minutes. And I'm like, so like, you got to just like rip through. Where are you hearing that? Well, I mean, that's what everyone's been telling me. Like I said, I don't know better, but that's bullshit. But they're saying like, oh, uh, you know, it looks like from metrics that people kind of lose interest after five minutes. So keep it under five minutes and blah, blah, blah. What that means is you need to structure your videos better so that they remain interesting past the five minute point. Yeah. Because right now the YouTube algorithm really, really prioritizes minutes watched and longer videos are starting to get way more priority than shorter videos, which is one of the reasons that we noticed like all these video essays that are becoming popular and like these like long ass analysis videos of whatever. Mm -hmm. That's because the algorithm changed. It used to be that everybody thought shorter was better. Yeah. That's really not the case anymore. And, you know, I've noticed that the URM YouTube is not huge or anything. We only really started focusing on it a few months ago, like really focusing on it. And uh, some of our biggest videos are like 27 minutes long or something. Yeah. Like, I don't think that length is an issue. I, I think that keeping them interested is the actual issue. I agree with you, but everyone seems to say to the contrary. And because I come from like, I, I like to watch lots of reviews and I'm not I'm just saying gear reviews. I watch all kinds of reviews, like all kinds of gear and other hobbies that I have. And those reviews are usually long, like 30 minutes to really get an in-depth breakdown of something. And I'm like, that's what I was aiming for to really like the first one I did was the, the Friedman uh, double J amp. And I really wanted to get into it. And there's so much we had to cut because everyone's like, dude, it's too long. It's too long. People don't care, blah, blah, blah. I was like, really? I mean, I would care, but. Man, I don't know if I agree with that. We've been working really hard on YouTube lately. And we're finding that, look, of course, the longer a video is, the more drop off you're going to have. Because the more length there is, the more opportunity there is for someone to get distracted by something else. Yeah. So that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But like I said, the YouTube algorithm is prioritizing length because of minutes watched. Mm -hmm. And just look at your favorite channels and pay attention to how long some of the most popular videos are. You'll probably notice that that five-minute rule is bullshit. Oh, good to know. I mean, I'll keep that in mind going forward. Like, do any of these people who are telling you that have successful YouTube channels, or is this just... <sighs> some of them do, yeah. So uh, that's why I take with what they say you know, with some weight. So, uh, I mean, I, maybe everybody's experience is different, but... Uh, it's, it's harder for me to, to say things that I want to say while keeping the comedy element in there in that short of time, like five minutes with like audio clips and jokes and information. That's fucking nothing. You know, it's like really tight. So, well, if like your whole thing was shorter videos from the get go yeah. and you could deliver everything in a shorter video, like top to the quality where people pay attention, that's great. Cool. But if you need more time, in order to deliver something of quality, you should probably go with what's better quality. Yeah. Because it, there doesn't seem to be like any sort of correlation anymore mm -hmm. between time and whether or not you're going to get views. And uh, like I can tell you that like when I do these unboxing videos, for instance, for now the mix tracks, like I said, some of them are 27 minutes long. It doesn't matter because there's no way I could do it in five minutes. Right, properly. Like I couldn't possibly go through an Opeth track <laughs> in five minutes. If I did, it would be shitty. Yeah. And if it was shitty, 
we'd have an initial viewership, but then people would drop off immediately and the algorithm wouldn't kick in. Right, right. So I think that you should do whatever you feel will be your best content because that's what people will respond to. Yeah. So if these five minute guys, maybe their best content is a five minutes. Mm -hmm. Maybe that is what their content needs to be because that's who they are or something. Yeah. There's definitely an art form to it that I'm still learning and I'm sure I'll continue to learn because it's like a whole nother thing. It's like if I started audio all over again, you know, there's so many things I don't know. So uh, it's a learning process, but it's fun and I, I enjoy doing it. It's just like, it takes up a lot of time and it's not like, super fruitful at the moment. It's not like, you know, we're, we're not going for monetization. Like I could give a shit about that. It's just, we're going for like branding and like being in media in a different facet, you know, to bring, hopefully bring over people to the studio, bring more recognition to the studio or, you know, that kind of stuff, bring awareness to stuff. Well, good luck. And if you ever need any help, let me know. And yeah, seriously, not to like harp on this too much. I really think that the more you do it, the more you're going to find your voice with it, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't let people define your voice for you. Cool. If you make great videos that are 20 minutes long, you'll be fine, man. Like, here's a great example. TED Talks videos. Yeah. I don't really like them anymore. I think they've gone down in quality, but they still keep getting massive amounts of views and they're all 19 minutes long, pretty much. Or Joe Rogan podcast, the biggest podcast in the world, yeah. 100, 120 million downloads per month. Like episodes are like three hours, three and a half hours long. Yeah, I watch him like every day almost. <laughs> That's what I'm saying is like, if the content is good and shit that people are interested in, the length is not going to matter. Yeah. Like it only matters if like what you deliver is only interesting for five minutes. Right. That's true. I mean, that makes that makes sense. And that's like mine was more the method methodology I was thinking. But I mean, I was surprised, honestly, to hear people just say that. So um, I will I will definitely harp less on that in the future, because if it doesn't really matter that much, like I won't let it. Dude, it's the same as like when you're talking to a band and they're like, should my songs be three minutes long? Or can it be like eight minutes? Well, who are you as a band? What are you trying to do? Like, well, if you're Opeth and they want to come record, are you going to tell them that you're going to cut all the songs down to three minutes, 30 seconds so that you can have radio singles? (laughs) Right? That'd go over real well. Yeah, it would be stupid. It would be beyond stupid. If you got Green Day in, right? Would you be trying to do a 14-minute frog (laughs) epic with them? I would love to. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it might come out okay, but you get what I'm saying? It's like, it's a similar thing. You're still finding your voice with the video thing, but you shouldn't let people try to define what your voice is for you before you've even found it for yourself. And once you find it for yourself you know, then you'll get feedback from viewers Mm -hmm. and that'll help you determine what tweaks to make. Another thing that you brought, you actually, you, in that last comment, you just brought up two other questions I had, which actually maybe that'll be interesting and pertain to this podcast. So question number one, this could be an easy one. Do you respond to people's direct comments at you? Is that a good thing or are you creating a dependency that like you shouldn't entertain? Because then when it goes down in a bad way, and they're expecting you to respond, then you have to do that. Or you just like from the get-go, just like, even though you might isolate a couple people and like bum people out, it's maybe the safer route to go. Because there's definitely people being like, hey, I'll blah, 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 I have this question. And some of them are stupid. And some of them are like, actually like, oh, that's okay. I could actually respond to that and like give this guy an answer. Um, I just don't know if it's like something I even want to like touch, <laughs> you know? One thing's for sure. I wouldn't engage with the shit posters. Yeah. Like don't, don't go down that path. I haven't gotten them yet, but I'm sure they're coming. I'm waiting for those trolls. I'm waiting, man. They're out there. They're, and they're going to say things that, 
you'll wake up weird one day and, you know, like you'll have a fight with your fiance and you'll read that comment and just like fly into a murderous rage and don't give in. Yeah. Like, I mean, we all give in at some point, but it's, it's best not to. The results are never good. Never good. Like there's so many like political things on Facebook that like, I just like, I can't read. I'm just like, oh, I'm not going to get into politics. But like personally for me, I like discourse. I like when people have, uh, you know, controversial opinions or different than mine anyway. And I love hearing their side of the argument because a lot of times I'm like, huh, I got to rethink mine. You know, that's like that's like the best part of conversation. So but like some people, I just I can't entertain them. And I have to just like I'm like, I want to say something, but I just like, nope, just ignore it, man. Don't don't do it. <laughs> Online's not a good medium for that. No, it's not. Because it takes the humanity out of the equation. You need that humanity in order for people to be able to get along while having different opinions. Yeah. I think. But uh, there, I don't see what the problem is with responding to your commenters, um, especially if they're seeking further clarification on something or, mm-hmm. I mean, if your aim for the channel is in part to educate people, yeah. then why not educate people every chance you get? It's just going to build goodwill and have people come back for more. I mean, there will come a point where if it grows enough, you're not going to have the time to do that. Yeah. And that's fine too. Like, you know, if it gets to the point where it's like thousands of comments, obviously you can't go there. But like when it's like in one or five or 10 or 20 comments or something, mm-hmm. why not do that? That's my thinking. I was just worried that like if it got to that point, would people be pissed? Like, yo, he used to fucking reply to me. You know, can't get him to reply. Like, blah, blah. Like, then I don't like isolate that person or like those people. Well, I mean, if that happens, you can always put out a video. That's true. Apologizing and just explaining yeah. the situation. That's true too. Yeah. I wish that I had more time to respond to individual stuff, but I just don't. I used to spend a long time every day inside the URM group Mm -hmm. and the chats and all that, like really getting in there. And I'm really glad I did because I think it's one of the reasons that we grew so fast and have developed such a great community. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, uh, you know, there comes a point where you can't do that as much anymore. And as long as you're open with people about what's going on, they're, they're cool generally. Yeah. I hope so. Uh, in my experience, at least. So that said, what about... Uh, the, the, the teaching thing. Yeah, what about that? Like, what's the story with that? Like, Professor Entresian? <laughs> yeah, that's what my, my fiance was like, dude, do they call you Professor Entresian? Like, what did you introduce yourself as? I was like, oh, I just introduced myself as Kevin. <laughs> because I didn't think about that. Like, I, I, it's, it's really weird having this perspective, being on the other side of the table now. I, I can, if I think hard enough, I can remember back in college when I would walk into the same room and have a different guy sitting on the other side and being in a completely different world, like frame of mind and just, you know, like either be, not even caring what they're saying and being like, oh man, I just can't wait to get through this class so I can get to this next thing I have to do or, you know, got to play with my girlfriend, <laughs> I got to respond to her afterward. Like, just like, I don't even know what these kids are thinking and, they, you know, so I'm trying to engage them and you know, keep that in mind. And, and it's like a different world, man, when you're in college and, and then when you're like, you know, a real person. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't want to like, I, I got to keep that in mind. Like back then, like I would do crazy things that if I saw a student do, I'd be like, you're a fucking weirdo. <laughs> but I used to do them myself. Like I would literally show up in class in the winter in like a full Tigger costume. Don't ask me why. Don't ask me. I couldn't give you an answer. It was. It's like super embarrassing. I don't care, obviously. But like, that's like how I was in college. I was just a weird kid, and like, I know I'm gonna. I, I've already seen like, like you know, like the campus weird kids. <laughs> 
So I'm sure I'm sure it'll be interesting. But all, all my students in the class are awesome. And it's really crazy being on the other side of that and having that like, man, I'm the guy now that they're listening to. And it wasn't even that long ago. It doesn't feel like it. I mean, it was, you know, I grad I went to school in 2002 and graduated in 2007. But it's it, it feels like it wasn't that long ago. I used to hate college so much that uh, I used to tell my friends, like, after I graduated, you couldn't pay me to go back there. No way would I ever go back to college. But I guess they are paying me to go back. So <laughs> I am there. So what are you teaching them? The The backstory for that is that um, when I graduated, I did the, you know, my own business type thing. And obviously my, my professor, who I was close with, and still am, obviously, I would ask him all these questions because like in as a college kid, this is like incredibly difficult. And like, you don't know anything about like the real world and taxes and money. I, I, I was making a hundred bucks a week and that was more than enough for me at that time. So, you know, there's, there's the perspective is crazy. And I got out of there and upon like getting into the real world, I, I was like, when I would get sessions to mix, I realized that, you know, the school, it prepared you for a lot of things and it taught you a lot about the, the program was fairly new at the time, but uh, they never really got into like hardcore mixing. So when you'd get a session in front of you with like a hundred plus tracks, you were like, I don't even know where to start. You know, like, where do you, what do you start with? And what do you do? What, what are some things to streamline all this information? And this, you know, they're like, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. So all that. And it was before like YouTube tutorials and all that stuff really. And, I was the URM, so I, I didn't have any guidance. I just kind of just figured it out on my own, I guess. And now, so this class is to try to, like, address that concern with those kids and, like, really, you know, I mean, you know more about teaching audio than, than most people, so I'm sure you understand. It's like some of them are just so lost in the beginning, and it's it's actually, you know, it's really rewarding to do that. I've been doing it. I have workshops at the studio with, like, one-on-one type stuff occasionally, but it's a lot different in like a, a, a class setting with like an SSL duality and all kinds of nice stuff in there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, how are they taking to it? I literally only had one class last week and I have my second class this week. And they were so excited, man. It was just like, I know like some professors are like super dry and boring and you just like, you're paying for it. And it sucks because you're just like, I don't want to be here. Whereas like when you're an adult and you pay for something, you're only going to pay for something if you want to do it usually, right? Like- <laughs> I would hope. <laughs> yeah. But when you're kind of like not forced into it, but like, you know, you're in a different mindset and you're just going to college sometimes just for the sake of going to college or whatever situation is. I mean, I went to make my mom leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. To get out of the house. Right. So, so there's that. Well, no, no, not just get out of the house, go to college. Yeah. I couldn't handle it anymore. I had to go. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's it too. Like I've, I went to college because my parents like told me that's what I had to do. And I was like, well, no, I want to go tour and like, play arenas <laughs> like really that's what I thought I was gonna do I was like you know you graduate and I got this cool band which obviously didn't get big and then I was like yeah that's what I'm gonna do I see other people doing it why can't I do that you know it's just determined and they're like no you're going to college so I strangely kind of got to do both in a weird way <laughs> yeah you did which is which is bizarre and just you know the exception not the rule maybe but uh yeah it's really cool to, to get in there and it's going real well the kids seem to be really you know, interested in it and i'm trying to engage them and uh i opened up the, the homework assignment for the last one was i i have the you know the 24 track for bohemian rhapsody i'm sure they come across that at some point yes sir yeah and it's just opening that to, to people who have never heard it like that in that context, the eyes just like, it's so wide. They're like, oh my God. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> 
it really is pretty nuts. It's awesome. I love it. So just like really honing in. Obviously, that's a track that almost everybody knows. So uh, and loves, hopefully. So that's a pretty good one. How can you not? I don't know. I don't know if I've met anyone who doesn't. I would love to have a conversation with someone who doesn't just to see why they don't love it. But there's got to be somebody out there who hates that song. I'm sure you can find them on YouTube. <laughs> the song is just poor, you know, poor musicianship and it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee it. So do you think that your background helped make the students more stoked than they would if you were someone that didn't have like a badass background? I hope so. Um, my professor did tell me that the students were fighting for the class, so that there was interest in it to, for me to teach it. Like octagon style? <laughs> yes. That would <laughs> be, be amazing. Oh, my God. I'd watch that. With a tiger thrown in, <laughs> just to, up the stakes. It's like Running Man. <laughs> yeah, or Gladiator. Yes. So uh, there was interest to do that, and I think that the class, like I said, was definitely needed in that in that curriculum. So, yeah, I guess. Uh, what was the original question? <laughs> Just if, if you felt like your background helped people get more stoked. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I didn't want to assume, you know, because I'm not famous or anything. So um, I guess locally I would be, you know, some people know who I am, like, from, from my area. But I didn't want to assume, you know, because you never want to do that. You may not be Steven Tyler, but you still, <laughs> like— None of us are Steven Tyler, but you've still done just about everything that a kid coming up would dream of doing. Yeah, I've, I've been very fortunate. My, my first class, a lot of it was introducing myself as my experience, like what I've done. So hopefully that weighs a little bit more with them when I teach them stuff. I'm like, listen, I'm not going to say everything I tell you is 100 percent the best uh, way to do something or cor even maybe 100% correct all the time. I'm fallible just like anybody else. But, you know, hopefully it means a little bit more coming from me with someone who has this, you know, all this experience behind me as opposed to another teacher who, say, maybe doesn't have nearly as much experience doing what I've done. You know, if you want to talk about being in a bus crash and having two fractures in your vertebrae and staying in Poland for a while, I'm that guy. I know about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I try to tell people who subscribe to Nail the Mix or URM uh, this all the time, which is, look, you're not supposed to take this stuff as the letter of the law. This is information coming down from people who have done it. But, I mean, if you watch enough Nail the Mix, you will see that uh, some people disagree with other people's methods, and they're both great mixers. Yeah. You know, you'll have one amazing mixer who thinks that this technique another amazing mixer uses is bullshit. Yeah. And it's not that the technique's bullshit. is It just doesn't work for them. Like, they, they, for whatever reason, their brain has not figured out how to make it work. And that's perfectly okay. But when you're learning this stuff, you, sh you should always keep in mind that that's, you know, you're just getting somebody's perspective on it. Try to incorporate it into your own work. And another thing that we do is um, sometimes, you know, if you want a 100% technically perfect audio education, you know, we might not be it. Like, I'm sure that like there's some professor at like some recording school that like has memorized every single recording book ever mm. uh, who knows like every single scientific fact about everything maybe never made a good record in his <laughs> life but is like a walking encyclopedia yeah. and that's not necessarily us or what we're trying to do we're trying to give people practical shit that works yeah that totally will help them get better but that said like we're fallible too we're not it's not like we're teaching people to fly an airplane or do brain surgery. We're teaching them how to make things sound good. And there's a element of subjectivity to all of it. Yeah. I mean, and all that stuff you talked about, like that technical, like the super technical side of things. I mean, I just remember when I was in college, there was dudes in my class who like we, 
for my program was like has a lot of the audio stuff obviously but it had and music ear training and all that stuff but it's uh, it was very focused in like like technical data aspects like like logarithmic calculations and acoustics electronics physics so there's a lot of calculus there's all kinds of stuff involved i guess either they're trying to fill the curriculum or they think that like you need that stuff and maybe in like if you're like building components and hardware like that stuff would be helpful but you know when you get in a studio i'm, I'm not computing logarithmic calculations <laughs> you know it's like well it's like the whole it's like the whole reading music thing sight reading that they push at berkeley when i went there they try to make you think that being able to read on guitar is the is like the the gauntlet or something. Yeah. Like that's that's what will determine everything. Right. They really like get this into students' heads. And since leaving Berkeley, it hasn't come up one single time in my professional career. Like not fucking once. <laughs> and, you know, I've been at it like on a pro level, at different pro levels since 2002 or three. Mm-hmm. But you know what? It's... Learning how to read on guitar definitely helped me. Sure. It helped me be a better guitar player, a better musician. It helped me with my arrangements. It helped me with all kinds of stuff way beyond just guitar. Like, it definitely made me a way better musician. And so, and that's cool. And I'm glad I did that. But I imagine that that kind of information is the same sort of thing. Like, it definitely can't hurt. Yeah. It can't hurt to know more about your craft. But is it absolutely necessary? Right. No, definitely not. Could, be, could time be better spent doing something else, you know? like Probably. Like, I had to do the same thing. I, I'm a classical guitar minor, and they I failed my first audition mostly for sight reading, and then the second one I got in. But it was the same thing. Like, they really harped on, like, sight reading, all that stuff. And I, I agree with you. I have not to this day once needed it. And it's definitely one of those things that if you don't use it, you lose it kind of thing. Because if you throw sheet music in front of me, it's going to be real sad. <laughs> but uh, you know, at one time I was decently proficient in like getting through stuff, but uh, yeah, not anymore. <laughs> and but like you know, if you have time, all that stuff is is cool to learn. It's not not going to help you um, in most cases. You know, if you're trying to go for something, you definitely could hone it a little better. And like the mixed course for this was like a definitely a sore spot. I thought that, that they just weren't getting involved in. And I, I'm hoping to learn things too from these guys because. You know, when you get older and you kind of get set in your ways, like, okay, well, maybe I got this template for this thing. I'm just doing this thing because I know it works and I'm not really thinking about the process anymore. I'm hoping, I'm hearing things already within the first class of like, oh, you try, th- there's this thing you could do. I'm like, oh my God, I love this. I forgot about this. You know, one of my favorite things about having interns and and having them, watching them work is seeing different techniques for things. I'm like, oh my God, I had no, I never thought to do that. That's cool. You know, and you're never too old to learn or you should never have too big an ego to be like, I can't learn from somebody younger or less experienced because that's ridiculous. I mean, you're just you're just cheating yourself at that point. Yeah, I, I totally agree. That's actually one of the coolest parts of doing all these Nail the Mix episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because originally we started with only the three of us doing them, and then we started with almost none of us doing them and just having guests. And just seeing all these different people do amazing shit, it's like a never-ending barrage of new techniques and it's great. Love it. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just uh, sometimes it just takes you back. You're like, oh man, that's I feel so stupid now. I didn't even realize that's how you could do that. Like that's so much easier. You don't remember everything that you forgot, basically. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. So, all right. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Pleasure as always. I very much appreciate it. I'm glad we finally got a chance to do this. Good luck with the YouTube and 
the school and, you know, the hiatus, if it is the hiatus. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll find out, man. I'll, we'll, uh, I'll keep you posted. I'm sure, you know, maybe somebody else will find out before me. <laughs> yeah, well, good luck either way. Cool, man. Thanks so much, as always. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Empire Ears. In collaboration with Grammy-winning producers, engineers, and their family of touring musicians, Empire Ears has developed a line of in-ear monitors that deliver what you need for every mix. When it comes to unrivaled stage clarity or needing a flat and honest reference for your latest studio mix, Empire Ears has got you covered no matter where you find yourself. If you like the Unstoppable Recording Machine podcast, make sure you leave us a review, subscribe, and send us a message if you want to get in touch.